Good morning. Turn with me to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. We'll start with a question. Would you rather have a fragile, frail truce, or would you rather have an enduring, permanent alliance? I think of um, the war-ravaged countries of Sudan, Syria, uh, Somalia. I, I don't think of Somalia anymore without the adjective war-torn, war-torn Somalia. And then I was listening on NPR last week to um, uh, Father's report about the violence in Yemen. Yemen. Um, has occupied the news recently, and he was talking about uh, being caught in the crossfire between forces and how his uh, children um, are being raised with, um, with, the, with the violence. But um, then there's a truce. Uh, we've uh, heard in the news about the truce in, in Syria and how, how fragile, how unstable it is. Everybody's uh, jockeying for, for the best position for when the truce stops. Um, so imagine yourself in, um, in one of these countries um, and you hear that, uh, that there's either a truce or an alliance, uh, a final peace. Which do you prefer? Well, obviously we prefer the alliance. And we'll... Um, We'll pick up on this in our look this morning at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. One of those benefits is in verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us, according to our iniquities. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to open your word and uh, to open our hearts to what you have for us. We pray that as we look at this particular benefit that we would um, make our own the permanent peace that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. It's a fact. Whether you are trusting in the Lord today or not, it's an indisputable fact that he has not dealt with us according to our sins. It's an amazing truth. Keep it on the screen, please, because I'm going to personalize this. And uh, I'm going to say that God has not dealt with Matt Clark according to his sins, nor punished Matt Clark according to his iniquities. That's intensely personal. And I'm going to turn it over to you and give you the opportunity to personalize it and uh, supply your name in there. So let's read it again. You, you put your name in this psalm. He has not dealt with Matt Clark according to my sins, nor punished Matt Clark according to my iniquities. It's true. 
It's absolutely true. The Lord has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. It's amazing because God is holy. The psalmist in Psalm 130 said, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We could paraphrase it. If you, Lord, kept our iniquities in view, who could stand against you or who could resist you? It's, um, it's an amazing fact. The Lord doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities because there is none righteous. The psalmist in Psalm 143 said, In your sight, no one living is righteous. No one in God's sight is, is righteous. We've, we know that. I mean, uh, we ourselves know that. We, uh, and we, we think if God... If we were able to see with God's eyes how, uh, how much uh, more would be revealed. Nahum stated that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The wicked. So um, though there may be injustice on this earth, the Lord's not going to pass over the, uh, the sins of the wicked. He's not going to acquit them. He's not going to dismiss their case from court. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is holy. None is righteous. The Lord is judge. God is jealous. And the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. Though God is holy, though we are not righteous, though he is judged, yet the amazing fact stands that he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Two primary questions that we have to answer this morning are, why not? Why hasn't God judged us for our sins? I was going to let the children answer that, but um, we have only one. Eliana, why has God not judged us for our sins? Because Why? Well, that's true, but that just adds to the um, that just adds to the difficulty. Why has God not um, dealt with us according to our sins, Maddie? He's merciful. Yes, He is merciful. Okay, so we're halfway through our lesson this morning. We've answered the one question: Why not? Why hasn't God dealt with us according to our sins? Because He is merciful. The second question is: How should we respond? The answer to the first question uh, is, um, is God's merciful, but it's an answer with two different applications, and we want to investigate those this morning. Application number one is, I'm a believer, God is merciful. Application number two is, I'm not a believer, God is merciful. We want to look at those two views. 
Why hasn't the Lord dealt with believers in our meeting this morning uh, among us here? Why hasn't he dealt with us according to our sins? For the believer, God has already dealt with his son, the Lord Jesus, according to my sins. He's already been there. He's already dealt with that. I exchange greetings with my coworker, and the coworker says, Hey, how's it going? And I say, Better than I deserve. What do I deserve? Let's look at um, Luke 23. Turn, please, to Luke 23. The scene is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two criminals crucified with him, either side. And verse, um, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. And us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. One criminal blasphemed the Lord, the other rebuked him. And um, he, he said, uh, Fear God, don't you fear him? You and I are under this condemnation. You and I are being crucified for things that we have done. We, you and I, are receiving earthly justice for earthly crimes. We receive the due reward of our deeds. We're getting what we deserve. The criminal's crucifixion was but a prelude or a picture of what was to happen to them eternally that as they receive justice on earth, they would receive justice in, um, in eternity for crimes against heaven. But in faith, the second criminal realized the innocence of the Lord Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. And realized that the Lord Jesus was about to bear the isolation, the... Um, the, um, the aloneness, the eternal separation, the abandonment, the torment of, um, of his sins on the Lord Jesus. Back to the co-workers' greeting. Hey, how's it going? Great. Better than I deserve. Co-worker. Oh, I'm sure you're a good person. Me. What I deserve is eternal separation from the Lord in hell. Coworker looks at me like, you poor soul. But I've taken opportunities like this, and the coworker seems to turn, and uh, he doesn't say anything after that, but he, uh, he thinks. He thinks, wow, uh, what do I deserve if this guy deserves eternal separation from the Lord. Like the second criminal on the cross, 
the Lord will not give me what I deserve. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. God is just. He will not punish me for crimes which the Lord Jesus has paid for when I receive him as my substitute. God could not pass the sinner by. His sin demands that he must die. But in the cross of Christ we see how God can save, yet righteous be. The sin is on the Savior laid. Tis in his blood sin's debt is paid. God's justice can demand no more and mercy can dispense her store. The sinner who believes is free can say the Savior died for me, can point to the atoning blood and say, this made my peace with God. God is slow to wrath and he is quick to forgive. We'll look at this more in a moment. Why doesn't the Lord deal with believers according to their sins? Because he is merciful. God in mercy sent his son to a world by sin undone. Jesus Christ was crucified. It was for sin, sinners, Jesus died. God has already dealt with my sin. He's already dealt with the Lord Jesus according to my sin. And for that I can praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Why hasn't the Lord rewarded unbelievers according to their sins? Because he's merciful. The unbeliever hasn't claimed the benefits of Christ's death on the cross. He or she must do that by placing his or her faith, her, um, his total trust in the Lord's finished work on Calvary's cross. So, Without that benefit, God suspends or postpones or delays the judgment of the guilty. The unbeliever must bear his guilt, but not yet. Simply put, God waits to give opportunity for the unbeliever to believe in him. If God did not temporarily withhold judgment, if he did not wait, there would be none of us saved. He gives room for repentance. He gives space. He gives time for the guilty sinner to repent, to trust in him. We see this in 2 Peter chapter 3. As Peter thinks about the scoffers of the earth, 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the, be from the beginning of creation. The scoffer thinks that, um, that the Lord is not coming. He's, um, uh, he's dismissed the promises of God, the warnings. And he says, um, uh, where is the promise of his coming? 
Verse 5, for this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So they, the scoffer willingly forgets. He, um, uh, he's dismissed God's promises of his return and he forgets that uh, things are not the way that they uh, always have been, that there was a flood and a flood of judgment. And then what they should realize is um, verse, uh, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God waits. He's not willing that any should perish. What some perceive as slackness is actually his long-suffering. He's allowing sinners, he's allowing all to come to repentance. It's an interesting way of, play, of say, stating this in verse 15, Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He waits so that we can be saved, so that we can come to him. God's immediate judgment would be our damnation. Even in Noah's day, God suffered long. He bore with the rebellion of the world. Noah preached the righteousness of God with his word in one hand and a hammer and saw in the other, he built the ark. We see in 1 Peter 3, verse, um, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Another interesting expression by Peter, divine long-suffering waited. God in his... Um, uh, in his um, bearing with us, waited. Let's um, look at another exchange with my coworker. Standard greeting, what's new? Rather, that's, um, that's, what I, that's what I ask him, what's new? And he says, not much. That is, until we consider the truth of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's new? The Lord's compassions are fresh daily, never stale, never uh, 24 hours old. When you watch the sunrise as a big red ball in the east, 
recall this, that uh, with the rising of the sun, there's a whole fresh batch of the Lord's mercies, his compassions that, uh, that arise with that. Not only for his followers, but for, for all, he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God waits patiently with long-suffering, bearing blasphemy and mocking, persecution. He benefits all with his blessings. God waits. God waited for the prodigal son. Note here, as we read in Luke 15, that compassion runs and judgment waits. Luke 15. And verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed, to feed swine. And he, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out our best the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Compassion ran. The father watched for his son, saw him a great way off, and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. But judgment tarried, judgment delayed. Where do we see judgment? Well, there was a penalty for the son squandering his, uh, his father's inheritance. We see judgment waiting as he traveled to this far country. Judgment waited for a severe famine to take hold. Judgment waited long enough for this man to work on a pig farm and eat the, um, the, uh, the pods that were meant for the pigs. Judgment waited for this man's return 
to, from that far country, though he had no money to pay for his travel. What do you think were the son's thoughts of his father after he returned and were, was restored? If, um, if you'd interviewed, if you'd talked with this man five years after, what would he have said of his father? He's compassionate. He's quick to forgive. He's slow to anger. God is slow to wrath. We read that in Psalm 145.8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is quick to forgive. In Psalm 86.5, we read, You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. The Lord is ready. He's, uh, he's quick. He's, um, uh, he's desiring to exercise his, his salvation. We recognize mercy by the running shoes that she wears. What other examples does scripture offer of God's patient waiting? The city of Nineveh was uh, ripe for his judgment, for God's judgment. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Why 40 days? Nineveh was a brutal um, uh, society. It was idolatrous. Why, why wait? So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. That's why God waited for their repentance. Then God saw their good works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring on them, and he did not do so. God did not run to judgment, but was long-suffering toward the inhabitants not willing that they should perish. King Manasseh is a, um, a remarkable example of God's endurance, God's patience. We read of Manasseh in 2 Chronicles 33. Listen to, um, uh, listen to this king and uh, form your own evaluation of his, uh, of his heart. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and reigned, he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to, all the, according to the abominations of the nations whom, God, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images. And he worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall be my name forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his sons to pass through the valley, through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. 
He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of the Lord, which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Verse 9, so Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. What do you think? Manasseh set himself up as a, um, uh, as a ripe for God's judgment. What, what would God do with, um, with Manasseh? Well, he sent affliction to Manasseh in um, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. It's been a while. Um, he was 12 years old. In verse 6, we read that he caused his sons to pass through the fire um, uh, of the valley, in the valley of the sons of Hinnom. So uh, he had sons. It had been uh, 20 years, 15 or 20 years, that uh, at least that Manasseh had been reigning when God um, sent this affliction. But in verse 12, now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God waited. God received the, um, the fruit of his waiting, if you will, with the repentance of Manasseh. And we, um, we could read the, um, the rest of uh, chapter 33 and, and read the reforms that Manasseh instituted uh, as, um, as a follower of the Lord. Those are good stories. Yet there are those for whom the Lord waited and they never repented. The world in Noah's day he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. That's because uh, Noah had sounded out the warning for 120 years, but only those who believed the Lord and entered the ark were saved. I don't know how many were in the world at that time. Hundreds of thousands, millions but um, the Lord waited, and they did not repent. They despised God's mercy. They counted his, his waiting as slackness. They um, dismissed his promise, his warnings. Um, there were those for whom the Lord waited, the men and women of Judah, to whom the prophet Jeremiah prophesied. He he said these words, Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, 
daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Why did God send his prophets early? Because compassion was running to them, showing its urgency, maximizing the time that uh, Judah had to, um, to respond to the Lord's promises and to his warnings. Give them time to turn to him. And yet they did not. One more visit to my workplace. I hear people ask, how are you? And the coworker says, uh, another day in paradise. Anybody heard that? Yeah. What are they saying? Are they really that thrilled with, um, with their work? No, I'm glad you recognize that. What they're conveying is uh, cynicism. They, um, they're bored, they're dissatisfied, they're discontent with their work. And so they say cynically, oh, this is paradise, another day in paradise. So um, what I respond to that, just another day in paradise, is, um, hey, you know, God has not judged us for our iniquities, for our sins. Stop. Think. This is not paradise, but it's not hell either. God has not judged you or me for my offenses. Really, my coworkers' thinly veiled cynicism, uh, boredom, is really a testimony to the Lord's mercy. No earthquakes, no heart attacks, but peace. The Lord gave peace for that, that day. How long will the Lord in his mercy withhold judgment. Well, until, as with the Amorites, their iniquity is complete. In Romans 2.5, Paul wrote, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's like um, I've heard a preacher describe this as uh, water behind a dam. That, uh, that water is slowly building up behind the dam. Eventually the dam has to release. It's got to give. And so uh, people treasure up for themselves wrath, for the day of wrath. There is, a, there is coming a day of wrath. God warned it. God warned of it. It's appointed by God. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. He's willing to, to wait. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Time for repentance is running out. The clock is winding down. For those who do not yet know the Lord, what do you desire? A fragile truce or a lasting alliance? 
a permanent peace. Our second question, how should we respond to God's mercy? He has not dealt with us according to our sins. The believer should bow down to the Lord. Our text this morning says, um, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The, um, uh, the original there conveys the idea of bowing down before him. Bow down before the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Make them the start of your morning quiet time. You've not dealt with me according to my iniquities. Make it your lunchtime meditation and your reflection at the close of the day. What for the unbeliever? How should the unbeliever respond to the Lord's mercy? Seek the Lord while he may yet be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray. Thank you for your offer of lasting peace through the crucifixion, through the substitutionary death of your own beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as a people uh, um, who know you, we might um, bless your holy name, we might be people of thanksgiving, we might truly show our appreciation to you in our quiet time, in our public worship, and uh, Lord, for those who do not yet know you, we, um, we ask you urgently that um, you continue to give them another moment, uh, another day to consider the, um, uh, the terms of surrender, the terms of, uh, of permanent peace. Uh, we pray for their salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.